Welcome to Erotic Nonsense, the podcast where two friends dive into the world of romance literature in order to find each other's and your next great lay, I mean read. (laughs) We'll explore it all, classic bodice ripping historical romance, provocative political thrillers, sexy sci-fi, and everything in between. Every week, we'll each cover one story, no spoilers, we'll share our favorite moments, which of your favorite tropes to expect, and rate its readability, how hot it is, and how romantic it is. We'll let you know if a book passes the vibe check, share any content warnings to watch out for, and most importantly, is it even good? I'm Lauren. And I'm Kendra. Now let the erotic nonsense begin. Hi. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? Good. I had a lovely relaxing day. My husband had the day off. So he did oh. all the like daycare drop offs and pickups and So you just got to like actually have a normal work day? Right. It was only... like a pre kids work day. Amazing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's I nice. I forgot what it was like. Our um, kids were home today because it was yeah. a holiday. So yeah. Um, a little bit more chaotic than usual, but that's all right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then we have one of our kids is out t- two more days this week. So he, cause oh. they have conferences this week. Oh, so gosh. he only has a two day week. Um, but yeah, overall we're doing fine. We got to like go away for the weekend. Oh yeah. Was nice. How was that? So it was good. We had really good weather. Um, went to the ranch, got to feed some cows and like try to do ranch things, which basically like ranch life is a lot of like trying to do things over and over again and not being successful. (laughs) Um, But it was fun and we ate a lot of good food and Mm, yeah. That sounds lovely. I totally get what you mean. Like ranch life is, is like different than, than real life. Like I am completely addicted to this YouTube channel about this woman who raises sheep in Canada. That sounds awesome. I, what I, all I know about sheep is they are supremely dumb and they get sick a lot. So it sounds really hard to raise them. I know. Yeah. I mean, she makes it look easy. Like, like, I kind of feel like I could do it. Like I, I I, hundred percent could not, but yeah, yeah, it's just like the way, like she, her, her, um, YouTube channel is very much like a daily blog. So she like, but she's like, oh, so you, we've got this and this and maybe this on our list if we can't get to this we'll just do it tomorrow and oh it's I like, love that that's just um, yes that's yeah. just it it's like there you'll never be done no it's always everything's ongoing mm-hmm. um, and you're like simultaneously super busy but also not busy at all yeah like sometimes you know your chores are like really dependent on weather or whatever and if the weather is bad then you just there's nothing you can do but like sit inside or like, like it's better some random thing will break and then you'll have to go fix the feeding yes. machine well, or whatever yeah, like we were like trying to round up some cows for auction or whatever, which mm-hmm. is like such a farmy thing to say. So, but such a um, <laughs> then it turned out like the tractor uh, had some broken tail lights and stuff, so those had to be fixed. Yeah, and then, like there was a plan for rounding up the bull, but he didn't behave according to the plan. <laughs> so like anyway, and then it's like once you get too late, then it's too late to deliver them to auction, and you have to wait till the next, the next week. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, it was it's funny. It's just so different from how my day to day life is. 
but the kids love it, yeah. and they get to, like, drive around in the little, um, like, it's basically like a like golf cart or whatever. Or whatever. Yeah, and uh, they love that. It's like a yeah theme park ride or whatever. It's fun stuff. So, yeah. anyway. Well, I also finished my notes today. This is, like, the third week in a row, <laughs> yep. I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> since being sick, so I'm yep. hoping we're, like, a little bit earlier this week to record. Yes. <laughs> Next so week hopefully. We have <laughs> be quite so bad. A couple extra days. Yes. I definitely had the benefit of, like, I was reading a book that I read it on Kindle, and I didn't check to see how many words it is, but I'm pretty sure it was, like, 120 pages if it were, like, oh. a real book. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was, like, a light, fluffy book, but, like, it, the ending ended up, like, dragging on, and it took oh, no. a little longer than I thought. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, we'll get into it, but. All right. Well, should we get started? We, sh- we should. So, like, why don't we talk about what we're drinking? Okay. So, I'm going first tonight, and so we are drinking the Red Velvet Shot. Um, and we will get into why Red Velvet Cupcakes are a thing in my book, but, um, this shot is a an ounce of Bailey's red velvet liqueur, <laughs> um, and a shot, or excuse me, an ounce of vodka, um, and then topped with homemade whipped cream and some sprinkles. Very sweet. <laughs> it is extremely sweet. I need to brush my teeth five times. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, shall we take a quick break? Sounds good. All right, so this week I read Mating the Huntress by Talia Hibbert, which, like, just that title alone is so hilarious. <laughs> like, it's such a, like, romance book title. How did, is this fantasy? It is a paranormal romance. How did I not know that Talia Hibbert it's her wrote her only this? one. <laughs> and, she dabbled. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it kind of does feel like an experiment. Um, so let's start with the back of book. Okay. Which I forgot to pull up, so. Cut this out. Yep. Or don't leave <laughs> it in. I'm um, good at singing. Your musical stylings. Um, I, better pull I up did choir in seventh grade. <laughs> and eighth grade. And eighth grade. And eighth grade. Um, I'm not going to sing on this podcast ever. <laughs> Probably for the bus. Definitely for the bus. No one wants that. Okay. This Halloween, love bites back. Hard. Chastity Adolfo knows a monster when she sees one. As soon as Luke Anthony wanders into her family's coffee shop, she recognizes the evil lurking beneath his charming smile and fantastic ass. The handsome werewolf is determined to have her, but she's determined to cut out his heart. Little does she know, Luke's plans for her are far more pleasurable than murder. And when the full moon rises, all bets are off. That's it. <laughs> There's a warning after oh. that. Like, um, and actually, it says right here, Mating the Huntress is 30,000 plus words of red hot Halloween themed romance. So oh. 30,000 words is like, yeah, that's like 100 pages. Okay. It is like a novella. All right. Like, barely. <laughs> um, okay. So for the cast, so we have Luke and Chastity. So Luke, the um, male lead, I have as Chris Hemsworth. Okay. Definitely has got to be like a big, bulky guy, mm-hmm. light eyes. Um, and I have a younger Gabrielle Union as Chastity. 
I don't want to say young because like she's still young, but she's why can't I think of what she's in? So Gabrielle Union is in a ton of stuff, but Bring It On is probably one of her most famous. She's the like captain of the Clovers. Oh, okay, yeah, Yeah. Um, amazing. Yes, she's so good in that, and that's kind of the era of Gabrielle Union that I wanted. Maybe a little older than that, but because like Chastity is like yeah, yeah, very athletic. She probably was like almost thirty playing in high school, or like let's be real, but Um, but yeah, she's like a like a warrior type so Gabrielle Union has that like mm-hmm. she's funny and like perky and can be a cheerleader but also like could Badass. totally cut you down with yeah. a look yeah Amazing. so that's exactly yeah. what I wanted um okay so main tropes um enemies to lovers of course uh and it's a paranormal romance and then faded mates so uh, the mating trope mm. um which I don't know I want to say it's not one of my favorites but I'm trash and it is. <laughs> so um, oh. I definitely enjoy it. Uh, all right. So overall thoughts. Um, <laughs> this was just like super fun. Fluffy as hell. It was like a total romp. Um, and it's like I said, it's definitely a novella. I read it on my Kindle app and I think it probably took me like 90 minutes. Maybe oh, two wow. hours. Like Amazing. it's like, you know, it's barely there. Um, and like... There are literally no stakes in this book. Like, (laughs) nothing really seems to be on the line. The character development is, like, almost nil. Like, you just barely get to know them. Um, But honestly, it's, like, kind of okay, because they're basically just, like, versions of characters we've all read a million times before, right? So you get, like, little character clues, and then Mm -hmm. you're like, you've got it. You know know? who it is. Like, you know who they are. She doesn't need to tell us. Um, and no characters other than the mains appear in more than one scene or say more than like a handful of words, you know, they like barely exist. Um, so Luke is like a sexy roguish werewolf with a heart of gold. Um, and actually what is nice is that heart of gold actually is not buried under like layers and layers of like self-hatred and bad attitude and possessiveness. So that's refreshing. Um, he actually just, like, wears his heart right on his sleeve. He's an artist. He's, like, unabashedly and openly sensitive. Um, he's a virgin. He's never had a sexual relationship before. Oh, it's, like, reverse yeah, it is a virgin little bit. man character. Yeah, nice. totally. Um, and he's just extremely into chastity. Um, and then chastity is, like, a she's a huntress, which, like, <laughs> this is... It's, like, fantasy, uh-huh. but there is, like, no world building at all, so it's just, like... Are you just supposed to, like, guess what I her ca- I guess. Is? I mean, the thing is, like, her family kills werewolves. Doesn't oh, say okay. why, or, like, why they've been given this job, or, like, what their deal is. Um, there are no other werewolves in the book at all. Um, but, anyway, she... So... Chastity is a huntress, but has been sidelined by her family for her whole life due to a prophecy that was made at her birth that was like, the first wolf she kills will rip out her heart or whatever. And so they like never let her fight. So um, she like is strong and a badass, but doesn't actually get to do like any of the battles or whatever. Um, And so she like knows how to use a knife and she likes using it. And then she also works at her, like, family-owned coffee shop, which they don't really explain this, but I guess that must be, like, how they make a living, 
while they They're do like the, cover. Yeah. yeah. Um, and apparently loves to bake, they tell us many times. Um, and it's mentioned several times that her favorite cupcake is red velvet, but we never actually see her bake anything. <laughs> <laughs> so the closest we ever get to her baking is when she and Luke go so far as to mix up some red velvet cake batter uh but before it can make it to the oven she dumps it all over his head and then he goes down on her while they're both covered in cupcake batter which oh no does it have raw eggs in it <laughs> probably oh no um salmonella is a major turn off um so chastity is not out in the woods while her whole family is hunting luke in at the beginning of the book um but her sister borrows her hoodie for the hunt so this is like modern you know she mm. works at a coffee shop they wear hoodies um, and Luke catches one whiff of Chastity's scent on that hoodie and, like, goes totally feral, but in, like, a nice, non-violent way. He's, like, a very gentle wear. <laughs> um, uh, but he knows immediately that that hoodie belongs to his mate, but that it ain't the chick that's wearing it. Like, it's, oh. like, it's not this girl. Um, so he, like, rips off part of the hoodie from Chastity's sister and takes it with him so he can track her down. Um, and he finds her working at the coffee shop and for weeks... <laughs> So, like, this is where the book kind of, like, crosses into parody a little bit for me because he just, like, openly stalks her and, like, she knows it. Her brother knows it. He even, like, calls it stalking, but it's totally framed in this, like, cute golden retriever way. (laughs) But, like, it definitely has the vibe that the offer is in on the joke. Like, because there's so many books that, like, present it. They never call it stalking, but it is stalking. Right. And they present it as, like, romantic. Right. Um... So, anyway, it's, like, there's a lot of stuff like that, actually, that feels, like, on the edge of parody. Like, the number of notes I made in my Kindle app that were just, like, LOL or, like, what the fuck is happening (laughs) is, like, really hilarious. Um, But I, like, actually laughed out loud multiple times. Like, it's just goofy as hell. Um, And it was so obvious that she was having a good time Mm. writing it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Their chemistry was pretty good. It was, like, a little hard to believe because the story was so truncated, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like you don't really have time to build anything. Um, The sex scenes were pretty hot. I mean, it's Talia Hibbert, right? So, like, she writes a great sex scene. I just, it was a little bit hard to believe that a young man with no sexual history could be such a like cunnilingus master mm. <laughs> you know yep. so um definitely a little gotta suspend your <laughs> belief there yeah yeah um and so talia is like a total romance master and to me this kind of Overall, it felt like she was, like, doing a writing exercise like, or something. Yeah, yeah, like, for fun. Yeah, or, like, maybe she was, like, it was a rough draft or an outline, or she was, like, thinking of writing mm-hmm. a paranormal series and, like, tried it, but then decided not to flesh it out all the way mm-hmm. or something. But she still had, like, a book advance and needed to publish something, maybe? Probably, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think of that. I'm sure that could be it. Um, so it definitely has a bunch of Talia Hibbert signatures. It's, like... Steamy sex, Mm -hmm. really good consent, um, great sense of humor, but it definitely wasn't as well developed or as emotionally resonant as some Mm -hmm. of her other stuff. You know, like I was like just fucking like crying during the scene um, and also super horny um, after reading the scene where Red and Chloe have sex on the camping trip um, in... Uh, get a life Chloe Brown Mm -hmm. it was like so sweet and tender and Mm -hmm. also super fucking hot and um this one is not quite on that Mm -hmm. level um but still super fun definitely recommend it 
Do you know when it came out? Yeah, I think it said 2018, which is okay. also like around, I think when the first Brown Sisters book came out, or maybe even the year after. Yeah. I, I was like wondering, I was like, oh, maybe this was like what she started with and then like graduated to, you know, got better. Yeah, but, um... maybe. But I, I think it was more like in the middle because hmm. I think she's like 20, she's like 24, 25 now, which is insane. Yes. Um, but so that would have been when she was in college or whatever, which mm-hmm. I think was when she started. Cause I did my deep dive on her last time I did a Talia Hibbert book That's and right. they were like the first Brown sisters one. I think she wrote when she was still in college. Um, I, I think I remember that too. Yeah. So she's very impressive. Um, so, okay. Ratings, uh, readability four. I mean, like it was, it read great. There were no mistakes or continuity errors or anything like that. It's just very simple, you know? Um, hotness level, I gave it a three and a half. It's like solid steamy, but at this like length, there's just like not a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, romance two, you know, so yeah. it was fine, but it was like insta love, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, there just wasn't enough time. So overall I gave it a three and a half. Um, but definitely not cause I didn't enjoy any part of mm-hmm. it. It just like is, you know, pretty simple, but it's like great for an afternoon beach read or whatever. Mm-hmm. Super fun. Um, okay, vibe check. Overall, it's great. Great representation. Great consent. Um, I will say that you probably should walk out, watch out if you've been stalked because yeah. it definitely takes stalking very lightly. Um, but that's it. There's like oh, no yeah. real violence. Well, I mean, she definitely like actually stabs him right in the heart, but he doesn't die. So oh. <laughs> there's no like actual violence. Um, okay. The first um, Brown Sisters book came out in 2019. Oh, okay. So the next year. Yeah. So this did come up before. Before. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Favorite line. Um, I couldn't pick just one. <laughs> so there's so many. But I think I picked three. Um, so the stalking line that just made me laugh out loud. Uh, quote, he didn't think chastity would react well if he presented her with a rabbit carcass. So he'd run around town all day collecting takeout menus. Oh, and he brought cupcakes. He'd stalked chastity long enough to know that she likes cupcakes. <laughs> <laughs> Just as like so light in tone. <laughs> Definitely calls it stalking. <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, okay. And then also great consent, understanding of boundaries. So, quote, Luke tensed as he caught the hint of her desire. You can smell when she's turned on. Mm. Locking down every muscle in his body to stop himself from reacting. Don't scare her. Just because her body's responding to you doesn't mean shit. <laughs> really nice. So good. So good, right? Um, okay. But I wanted to get one from Chastity, too, because her inner life is hilarious. Um, so this one's from Chastity. Quote, well, she was officially on the hunt, which made her a huntress. And her instincts were telling her to rip this sexy fucker's clothes off, sit on his dick, and then carve out his heart. Or something. She was hazy on the details. <laughs> That sounds amazing. It was really fun. Um, Okay. So that's it for my review. On to my deep dive. Yes. So I almost felt a little bit bad about this one because it's like a similar vein to last week, but these are my favorite ones. Mm -hmm. So this week I am doing a deep dive on using food in sex. Okay. Okay. Um, so I, sources, I used a scholarly article called Natural Aphrodisiacs, a review of selected sexual enhancers by Elizabeth West, MD, and Michael Kreitschman, MD. First published in the 15th 
on the 15th of July, 2015. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the 15th century for Seriously? a second. And I was like, oh, oh. Wow, someone was really ahead of the times. Um, and an article called Some Scientists Say These Aphrodisiacs for Women Could Actually Boost Your Libido by Asher Fogel and Caroline Picard. And that one's from 2018. And that one was on Good Housekeeping. Um, and then I actually checked out a book. Oh my so God. this is the Omnivorous Mind by John S. Allen is the book that I used. So, mm. um, all right. So obviously using food and sex is like a big pop culture obsession, uh-huh. right? And so like we all grew up watching like all kinds of wildly unbelievable romance tropes like on TV and mm-hmm. in movies in the 90s. Um <laughs> I, like, will never forget that episode of Sex and the City where Samantha puts sushi all over her body and then waits for Smith to come home, and then he gets caught up at work and never comes home, and she's just laying on the table for, like, four hours with sushi all over her. Um, anyway, so, yes, for the first time, I actually checked out a book for my deep dive. I felt so fancy and scholarly. Amazing. <laughs> um, so The Omnivorous Mind by John S. Allen about the human history of food and its consumption. It, I didn't read the whole thing. Okay. It does sound fascinating and I yeah. would like to go and read the rest of it. But um, the section on food and sex is pretty brief, but it is very interesting. Um, I do want to give a quick warning that Allen does not provide context for gender diversity and the wide range of gender expression possible for humans. Um, he talks about the evolutionary context of sexuality's relationship to food, mm-hmm. um, like firmly between the biological sexes of male and female. So I'm going to be using that language some, and so I just wanted to give a little warning and of course say that we support all forms of gender identity mm-hmm. and expression. Um, okay. So he talks about how humans relationship with food evolved, um, like as we did, of course, and how unlike many other species, especially other primates, um, a natural division of labor evolved between male and female humans and how they cooperated to provide food for their offspring. Mm. So like no other primates do this. No other male primates aid in caretaking of offspring. So we're the only ones. Um, and I'm, sh- I'm pretty sure there's like some birds and some other animals that do. I mean like penguins, right? Mm-hmm. And like seahorse. You know, like there are other other examples in the natural mm-hmm. world, but no other primates. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so he states, uh, and this is a quote, the sexual division of labor can generally be characterized this way. Men provide food in larger, less predictable, less predictably available packages, e.g. large game animals, while women with infants and children in tow specialize in smaller but more predictable food items. Um, and he goes on to talk about how, like in other species, it is very normal for a male to provide food as a gift for the female to entice her to mate with them. Um, but that is just like for the immediate result of mating with the female, mm. right? Whereas with humans, a woman may evaluate a gift of food as both a gift to entice her to mate and as a demonstration of his ability to provide long-term care to her or their offspring. Mm. So it like has two meanings for humans. Um, so, but what I actually found more interesting were some of the other things he talked about. So one was the parallels he drew between the language of eating and sex. So like actual linguistics. So another quote, 
Metaphor metaphors for sexual acts or anatomy often incorporate the terminology of food and eating, and in many cases, the words or phrases are used to describe both sexual and culinary acts. Like eating, romantic sexual intimacy typically begins with the lips and tongue before the action moves to other lower areas of the body. Perhaps this anatomical convergence helps to foster the linguistic linkage between the two. Hmm. Which is kind of funny. I had never thought about that. <laughs> How it, like, goes goes down the body. Mm -hmm. Both of them do. Anyway. And so these linguistic, linguistic links occur across, like, all languages. Like, across the mm -hmm. world. So, you know, like, we might think of, like eating someone out, right? Yeah. Like, there's a lot of that, um, but there are many like it. And one of the funniest ones was a dialect in southern Brazil actually has a verb that literally means both to copulate and to eat, and they are exactly the same, and it's often necessary to specify with the penis to, oh. <laughs> like, avoid ambiguity. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, like, it occurs across all languages, which is fascinating, huh. you know, like, that they have the same, like, Etym etymological quirks that we do. do yeah I'm just like my brain is like like to it's like to me I I guess I would assume that those terms are similar or linked just because we use our mouths for eating and for like you said like the start of whatever mm -hmm. sexual activities but like to me, that that really just now I'm like, why do we kiss people? Like, <laughs> yeah, that totally. Like, <laughs> that would be a really fun deep dive. Yeah, for another I feel time. like yeah. I think there was like a How Stuff Works episode yeah. on that, and I don't remember like why do we kiss? Yeah, any of the details. Oh wow, well, this is the perfect time. Sorry. To go back. Yeah. no, not at all. Um, okay, so he also talks about how these links are almost always in the direction of food to sex. So that when it's done the other way around, it's seen as far more scandalous or even shocking, which mm. might sound kind of weird, but he gave a really good example um, of a restaurateur named Kenny Shopshin who wrote, quote, bacon pancakes <clears throat> and bacon French toast both remind me of pussy. When you flip the pancakes back to serve them bacon side up, the bacon is in there, enveloped by soft walls. It's really very sexy, <laughs> which is so it felt so graphic to read that, you know, because you can imagine, like, what yeah. it looks like. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> and it is funny how it's, like, normally, like, sex acts get named after food things, mm -hmm. not the other way around. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he also discusses a study performed by Janico uh, Georgidis and colleagues, which mapped brain activity during orgasms. Mm. Um, they studied both men and women experiencing orgasms with a partner manually stimulating them, but they couldn't see their partner at the time, which, weird. Like, they were like, Either they were in a box or, like, their partner was in a box. Yeah, it's, like, okay. their own like, intimate partner. No. <laughs> okay. Um, that, yeah, okay. Yes, no, so, like, their own intimate partner was there. But it must be, I mean, like, you just have to trust. You can't see them. Yeah, that's <laughs> so why I was weird. like, yeah. Uh, totally. Um, Different and, kind of experiment. Yeah, right. Um, okay, so. Sorry, I totally No, that's okay. It. I just lost my place for a second. Um, so... While there were many differences in how the different sexes experienced orgasms, there was something significant that all parties experienced. And that is the significant deactivation of the orbitofrontal cortex, so the part of the brain, yeah, in the front there, um, when they achieve orgasm. Not before, but when they achieve orgasm, that part of the brain deactivates. Okay. So it, like, stops firing. 
Um, and that team posits that this area of the brain deactivates with sexual disinhibition. So like when you are letting go of your inhibitions is mm-hmm. when that part of the brain stops functioning. So probably it's like, you know, it's top level brain, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're not using that like, you know, complex thinking, mm-hmm. it turns off. Um, and as part of the same study, they had men look at like pictures of sexy stuff or whatever and told them not to think about sex while they were looking at the pictures and that part of the brain was like firing super hard while they were doing that because they were like trying to be inhibited you know right so like when you're uninhibited it turns off when you're inhibited you're trying to control yourself and your reactions it turns on Hmm. um so yes that caused their orbitofrontal cortex to light up this area of the brain also deactivates upon a person feeling satiated or satisfied by food. Mm. So, you know, with the um, with the decrease in activation during orgasm mirrors the deactivation in this region that occurs with, like, satiation, fe- feeling of fullness. Amazing. Which is so cool. Um, brain chemistry is, like, so interesting. It's so interesting. I yeah. mean, uh, just, like, from my last two deep dives, all I feel like I have learned is that, like, we are all just one weird association or minor head injury from away from, oh. like, being turned on by anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> For sure, yeah. Um, it's wild. Or just, like, <clears throat> becoming a different person, like, personality-wise. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just, like, when a pathway accidentally starts, like, mm-hmm. connects to the wrong thing. Yeah. Yep. Fascinating. Um, so I also thought I would briefly talk about aphrodisiacs because mm. I feel like you kind of have to mention it. Um, and as you can imagine, the science around this stuff is quite a bit more mushy. Uh, however, I did find one scientific study that actually did research on what could potentially actually work as an aphrodisiac. So here's what they found. Many of the staple aphrodisiacs we all think of were not effective in improving <laughs> sexual performance or libido. Okay. So oysters, no. No. Um, it's funny because I think like oysters as an aphrodisiac goes like way back. Yeah. Way, way back. Yep. And I like way before we knew that they are really high in zinc, which mm. is why people now think that they are an aphrodisiac. But I feel like they probably originally were because they just like they just look like a vulva. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they do contain super high levels of zinc, which is essential for testosterone production. Oh. So that's why some people thought that maybe they were huh. an aphrodisiac. But the study did not demonstrate that such high levels of zinc actually caused an increase in testosterone. I isn't. I mean, zinc is supposed to be good for, like, um, immune system and stuff, too. So it there's is, a bunch of, like... Yeah, well, and, like... Stuff that has zinc in it, and it's not like you know, a bunch of people are like, Oh, I'm not getting that emergency packet, getting super horny, you know? Yeah, totally, totally. That's a really good point. That's hilarious. Um, okay, and then chocolate, no, no, yeah, chocolate does. Although, actually, that surprises me a little bit. Yeah, I thought. With the all right, sorry. No, you go. You're, no, you're right. You're you're totally on it because the it does actually like increase serotonin production. That part is real. It's just that like having higher serotonin actually didn't necessarily result in having a higher libido or better sexual performance oh, in I, their study. I thought because it was like related to coffee and that like that sort of like process. Um, can like relieve the pressure in your wow I don't oh, yeah. know any of the right words for this no, I, mean, but, that's, um... I mean I only know them now because I've just <laughs> read about them <laughs> um that's interesting it didn't I didn't read anything about that but that 
you know, this study is really limited and it's based on existing mm-hmm. like cl- clinical trials. They didn't actually do any new mm-hmm. trials. They just read other people's work and did, there's like a word for that kind of study where you like, Oh, just yeah. Just read other people's work and then put together a new study. It's like based a compendium on it. kind of, yeah. but I don't think that's the right word. Yeah. Yeah. Um anyway, point is they found there was no difference in libido from those who ate chocolate and those who didn't. Um honey? No. I'm not actually sure where honey comes from. It's not one that I'd really mm. heard of before, but let me tell you, I read like 20 shitty listicles about like oh, things yeah. that, yeah, and Honey was on all of them. Huh. Um, I don't so, think I've heard that one either. Yeah. And I don't know if it was like maybe because of like the honeymoon thing, because I was reading the, um, the newly read wed tradition of drinking mead made from fermented honey after your vows in England is where I huh. they think that word comes from. And so yeah. I was like, maybe it has something to do with that. But huh. um. Yeah, honey does not provide any benefits for sexual desire or performance or for anything. Mm -hmm. It just tastes good. (laughs) Um, But they did find a few things that could work. So ginseng root. Red ginseng has been shown to help with erectile dysfunction by encouraging endothelial nitric oxide release. Nice job. Nailed it. (laughs) Which exerts a direct effect on erectile dysfunction through triggering erection by relaxation of the smooth muscles of the corpus cavernosum. So it, like, allows you to, like, release a hormone in your brain that can aid in getting an erection. Okay. It also has been shown to increase sexual desire in postmenopausal people. So, like, it that helps sense, people yeah. of all. Yeah. yeah. So, which is pretty it's cool. like a little bit of natural Viagra. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um maca root which is similar but doesn't have like a chemical reaction like that in the brain but they think maybe it does like help to calm you down and they're Mm. not sure why but um it they did find that um this root vegetable might help healthy menopausal people with sexual dysfunction and people with erectile dysfunction um and so it's native to peru's andes region and Mm. has been used for centuries actually for fertility arousal and hot flashes so Mm. like it's been around um and it's typically taken like dried and ground up in a pill and they say that more research is needed to determine dosage but it's safe and it could potentially help what's it called again maca oh like maca yeah not not matcha no, tea. Yeah, okay. different. I like, yeah. Okay. I was like, have I been pronouncing that wrong? <laughs> no, you have not. <laughs> um, okay, then the last one is Adye. Adye. So um, this one came out just like 10 years ago or so, I think. Like 20 years after Viagra hit the market, um, the FDA approved this. It's a prescription medication um, for low sexual desire for people who rely on estrogen for sex drive. So like, you know, people generally assigned female at birth. Mm-hmm. Um, so the actual name is Flibinsarin. Flibinsarin. Insane name. <laughs> um, Addie is the, like, um, brand name. Gotcha. Um, is a daily pill that may boost sex drive, but can cause potentially serious side effects like low blood pressure, sleepiness, nausea, fatigue, dizziness, and fainting, especially if mixed with alcohol. So, mm. sounds like, I, yeah. I, that's the one that was marketed as, like, female Viagra. Yes, like, exactly. I, like yes, I remember seeing that, yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Wow, that was great. Okay, yeah. I definitely, when you started that, I thought you were going to go down the route of, like, 
food insects fetish. <laughs> I thought about it, yes. And I, the number of tabs I had open today, it was like all those shitty listicles and then like why people like to bring food in the bedroom. But I just like really liked the... No, yeah, yeah. that was great. That was... Amazing. I love a little science in uh, my yeah. day. Brain chemistry is so fascinating. Yeah. So now the, the food fetish is still open. Yeah, it's still <laughs> available. one of us wants to do it. And why do we kiss each other? That is such a good one. We've got to do that yeah. I mean, yeah, and it's even like a thing you do with like family that's not romantic. So True. Yeah. Interesting. But that one is like easier to explain because it's just this, like a... Like it's like an intimate, intimate thing. thing but but like then why French is it also kissing. a turn on? Yeah. Oh my anyway. God. So next week. Yes. Dibs. <laughs> all right, fine. Um, all right. Well, should we take a quick break? Sure. All right. Ready to go? Yep. We're back. Let's do it. All right. So this week I read Red, White, and Royal Blue. Oh, yeah. By Casey McQuiston. McQuiston? Yeah. McQuiston, I think. Um, all right. Back of the book. First son out. Alex Claremont Diaz is the closest thing to a prince this side of the Atlantic. With his, with his intrepid sister and the Veep's genius granddaughter, they're the White House trio, a beautiful millennial marketing strategy for his mother, President Ellen Claremont. International socialite duties do have downsides, namely when photos of a confrontation with his longtime nemesis, Prince Henry, at a royal wedding leak to the tabloids and threaten American-British relations, the plan for damage control, staging a fake fake friendship between the first son and the prince as president claremont kicks off her re-election bid alex finds himself hurtling into a secret relationship that henry that could derail the campaign and append upend two nations what is worth the sacrifice how do you do all the good you can do and most importantly how will history remember you i didn't know actually that that was the premise i knew that there was prince henry or whatever Mm -hmm. but i did not know that it was the son of the president yes that i love that whole idea it was pretty amazing um i'm gonna quickly cast it uh so i have prince henry i have tom holland oh cute like maybe like he's supposed to be like really tall though so i don't know right but yeah yeah. (laughs) Uh, maybe like a a tall tall tom holland Holland from like a low vantage tom holland that says tall is zendaya (laughs) (laughs) exactly um and then for alex um i had to like google because i could not find someone that i could like think of um diego tinoco okay so yeah, I mean, Google him if you don't know who he is. He's in a bunch of stuff, actually. Oh, okay. Um, but um, Alex is supposed to be, like, a, like, all-American, like, mm-hmm. um, very attractive and outgoing and, like, wants to be a politician, like... Okay. Um, yeah, he, like, he describes himself as, like, a golden boy. Uh-huh. Um, Got it. So, and then Prince Henry is... It's not exactly Prince Harry, but it's... he's, like, he's the oldest son, He's right? actually not. Oh, he's not. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I... I felt like I was confused partway through the book, too. Like, partially because they call him the Prince of Wales, which I did not... I thought was only the title to the heir apparent. So I'm not sure if that was just, like, an error in the book. There was, like, a review on Goodreads that also noticed that. Yeah. But then, like, crossed it out and said, like, no, all princes would be the prince of... Wales? No, I don't know. Right. I, don't, I didn't think so either. So it might be just an error. Huh. Interesting. Um, now I'm going to have to look it up because I like pride myself on knowing all that shit. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a weird, like I, 
maybe I should have researched that. That would have yeah, been a, I mean, a great deep dive. Yeah, but, it would. Um, <laughs> anyway, this is not important. Yeah. <laughs> um, main tropes. Um, so there's just like everything. There's like enemies to lovers, uh, fake relationship, <laughs> forced proximity. And oh, then it's favorites. also like royal and then also like presidential. Like, you know, like that's right. a whole genre in Political, itself. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, so it's got everything. Nice. <laughs> um, okay. So overall thoughts. I like it was amazing. Like Yay! <laughs> one of those that like I felt like I just like my smile would be like so big it would just like start hurting from like smiling too much <laughs> thinking about this book. It was so good. It was hilarious, like tiny like tons of tiny little jokes. And it's a really good example of using pop culture references well. Like, you yeah. know, there are sometimes where they're just like peppered in there horribly yes. and it like feels awkward and yes. like like some editor came in and was like, make this younger. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This was just so well done. Um, okay, so to explain the sort of like alternate reality. So um and this kind of comes out like in bits and pieces, so you have to sort of like piece it together. Okay. But um okay, so Prince Henry is the second son of a Princess Catherine who is the first daughter of, I think they call her Queen Mary in the okay, book. Okay, so it's she, like... She is essentially supposed to be, like, yeah. Queen Elizabeth. Yeah, yes. The second, yeah, 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 I got it. Um, and so he is the second son, so he has an older brother who is Prince Philip. Oh. Um, <laughs> so that's the heir, and mm-hmm. he's a bit of a dick. <laughs> just like real life. No, just kidding, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> he's the one that, like, most of the kind of, like... He, he's, like, the biggest antagonist in the story. Oh, really? The, yeah, oh, story. okay. Got it. Um, he de- like, he's definitely the one that, like, gives them the most trouble. Is this dual point of view? No. No. It's only from Alex's point of view. Oh, I kind of like that when you only get one point of view. I, yeah, I think I'm starting to realize I prefer it as well. I feel, it, it feels more real. It does. And like, it's, like... I think when you do it that way, you don't have all the information, mm-hmm. so the tension feels more legit, and mm-hmm. it doesn't have to make up some, like, stupid... Well, actually, the stakes in this story are high, so yeah. that actually matters. But, like, when you get dual point of view, in order to, like, create a problem as, like, you know, yeah. 80% of the way through the book, big issue, mm-hmm. is, like, you have to have some weird misunderstanding, mm-hmm. you know? Because they're both, like, happily in love with each other. Right. So, anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Um... Okay, and there's also a younger sister, um, Princess Beatrix, or B. Um, And so the setup is Henry is gay and knows he's gay before the events of this book happen. Okay. Um, And he has had relationships, but he's always, like, kept them a secret, and they've always been, like, not serious. So he's not out? No. Okay. Um, And he believes that coming out is not an option for him. Oh. I know. Um, And so I think he's supposed to be, like, 24, 25. Okay. So a little bit older than Alex. Alex is, like, 21, like, just graduating. Oh, okay. College. college, Yeah. So, 22. Yeah. Um, So Alex Diaz. um, So he is the son of President Claremont, who this is an alternate timeline where in 2016, um, instead of he who shall not not be named was elected, (laughs) um, basically this female politician from Texas wins after the Obamas and they take over the White House. This book sounds therapeutic (laughs) as hell. (laughs) Right. Um, And so basically the story is, like, she's a Democrat and she won the election, but she lost her home state of Texas. And it's just like... Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I mean, it's Texas. Wow, that's so realistic. And then Alex's dad is a senator from California, but his parents are divorced. Okay. Um, 
Anyway, okay, so that's the setting. Got it. <laughs> I'm so excited already. I'm just so excited that it lived up to the hype. I know. Now I gotta read it. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, yeah, and it it starts off very fun, light, and fluffy, and I kind of thought that was going to be the whole book. Like, it started, like, getting to this point where it was just, like, all the good feels, and I could see, like, a pretty bow wrapped yep. on, but, like... With, like, no struggle, everything fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. like, honestly, I kind of wanted that. <laughs> it would just 100% fluff. Yeah. yeah, that would have been, like, fan fiction. Yes, yeah, like, totally. Um... But alas, so um, they do have a a bit of tension, you know, something happens and they're <laughs> trying so hard not to spoil it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. I mean, I can imagine because he's not out. Right. right. So I'm sure yes. It has something to do with that. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so it is about that. Um, and it kind of like brings out all of these experiences that a lot of LGBTQ plus people experience. Yeah. Um, and while I can't speak to like how accurate it is, right. I did, it did feel very good and very like representative. And the author certainly tried to be extremely inclusive and sensitive to all these things. So it was sort of lovely where it wasn't, it wasn't fluff. It wasn't ignoring a lot of these issues. It, yeah. It like, it tackled them and it maybe did end up kind of, you know, sugarcoating a lot of things, but it didn't ignore them, you know? Yeah. So, like, there is issues with um, being outed and, Ugh, you know, yeah. unsupportive families and mm-hmm. just the public reaction in general. Right. Um, so the second half of the book was a little bit more serious and yeah. less fluffy. <laughs> yeah. So, like, yeah, part of me definitely wanted that, like, nice ribbon than the first half of the you book. You just want just them to be, be happy. Fluff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but the ending was lovely. Um, and it was, like, it ended up being, like, very, like, having a lot of serious thoughts and, like, serious feelings. Those and, are like, serious things. I know. Yeah. yeah. And, like, it, yeah, so it sort of took, like, a turn. The beginning, there was a lot of, like, hot uh, steamy scenes. They were explicit. There was like, there's mention of lube and condoms, you know, nice. which like, love that. Yeah. And I think there is a debate as to like, some people would rather just not read that, but I don't know. Personally, it, it makes it like a little bit more real. Like, I can only suspend my disbelief so far. Exactly. Is the thing. Yeah. Like, I actually, and like, I will suspend my disbelief happily around like fantasy elements or whatever, <laughs> but when it comes to like getting Logistics. down, I'm like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the the mention of it, like, he carries around in his pocket a little mini bottle of lube. Like, oh my god, so convenient. That's genius. Um. Anyway, um. So wait, but, which one carries the little bottle of lube? Prince Henry, of course. Oh my he's god, so, I was like, surely it's the American. No, always prepared. prepared. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, so. I think that's where I'm going to leave it. Like, I want, I would love to just tell you the story of the book, but I don't (laughs) want to spoil anything. Um, It really is very sweet and loving, too. Um, Like, honestly, it was probably, like, it was pretty dirty, but then it also was, like, probably cheesier than most of the other books I've been reading lately, so. Oh, that's such a nice combination, though. I'm like, I don't want anything that's, like, just cheese. (laughs) Yeah. I kind of want my romance books to be, like, Equal parts cheese and milk. Yes, yes, exactly. That's so nice. You need a balance. (laughs) All right. Ratings. Readability four. Hotness four. 
had to bump up romance to 4.5 because it had to be, <laughs> I think it was more than the others. Yeah. And then overall 4.5. It was, yeah. Sounds amazing. Uh, I feel like I'm, I'm like starting to put my books into like two categories. It was either like amazing and perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with like maybe a 0.5 room for, yeah, you know. Yeah, sure. Uh, or it's like, eh, <laughs> you yeah. know. Anyway. All right. Vibe check and content warnings. Okay. It completely passes the vibe check diverse characters yeah um and they don't just avoid all the difficult things that come up Mm -hmm. they're mentioned um they're acknowledged if they are maybe sort of glossed over a little they're not just ignored yeah um and so content warnings nothing major um i did mention you know being outed um and some like family um prejudice you know yeah um, family being unsupportive, but um, not too bad. Yeah. Um, all right. My favorite line. <laughs> uh, I. It's so hard to capture the character of this book, and this quote is too short, I'm realizing now. Oh. Um, <laughs> so the context is um, Alex's mom, the president, has discovered their relationship, and she is, like, lecturing him. <laughs> <laughs> Like they do, they they do it very lovely on his side of the family. Like mm-hmm. she does her like mom reaction first, and then she like becomes the president. I'm and sure like, she's like, "I'm so happy for you!" And now a presidential talking to exactly. <laughs> so and she does a PowerPoint. Oh so, my god! <laughs> here's the quote. The next slide is titled "Exploring Your Your Sexuality." Healthy, but does it have to be with the Prince of England? <laughs> she apologizes for, for not having to come up with a better title. <laughs> Alex actively wishes for the sweet release of death. (laughs) I love it. It's so good. All right. Moving on to my deep dive. Okay. All right. This is an extremely limited list of royals who may have been LGBTQ+. Fascinating. Ooh, I can't wait. Um, So there are, there's lots of speculation and just sheer, you know, uh, numbers wise, there were probably lots. Um, right, there have been a lot of royal people. So <clears throat> exactly. Um, and this is royals of England because oh, I did okay. find a few articles of like just in general in the world, mm-hmm. and there are lots of examples elsewhere. But I wanted to, yeah. you know, not be here for two more hours. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> okay, I have a variety of sources here. Several articles. Um, one from NBCNews.com called 13 LGBTQ Royals You Didn't Learn in History Class. Um, one from HRP.org.uk um, <laughs> called <laughs> LGBT Royal Histories. Uh, one from Ranker.com called LGBTQ... Oh, that's... Uh, sorry, I have a typo. Um, <laughs> Kings and Queens in History. Um, and then PinkNews.co.uk, um, The Gay Royals You Aren't Taught in School. <laughs> And then Wikipedia, nice. of course. Yeah, right, of course. All right, so I put these in chronological order. Um, and these are mostly the ones where there is either good evidence or at least a lot of debate. Okay. Um, okay, so number one is Richard I of England, uh, 1189 to 1199, God, also damn, known as a long time ago. Richard the Lionheart. Oh, yeah. Um, and apparently there's a lovely movie with... Um, Anthony Hopkins oh. about him that I actually kind of want to watch now. Yeah. Um, which I, I think that movie like made 
Richard the Lionheart, like, somewhat of, like, a gay icon. <laughs> Sweet. Um, but there is actually, like, maybe not that much evidence. Um, that is a long time ago. Yeah. Right. Um, so, and he actually only spent six months of his tenure reign in the country. He revolted against his father, Henry II, um, and for the, quote, sake of diplomacy, he allied with Philip II of France. And so there was a quote from a contemporary chronicler um, who knew the king personally, and a quote from this chronicle is, they, quote, ate every day at the same table and from the same dish, and at night their beds did not separate them. So. That's such a, like, roundabout way of saying it. (laughs) Right. But looking at it another way, um, sharing a bed might not actually imply homosexuality at the time. Like, um, what is it? Uh, King Philip had, like, he would hold court in his bedchambers. And, like, his most favorite Um, would sleep at the foot of his bed. Well, that's, like, a royal thing up until mm -hmm. very recently, right? Like, there was no privacy. Right. That's, yeah. One of the other arguments is that, yeah, there, and there's no other, um, there were no other accounts of Prince, or King Philip um, you know, with like yeah. other relationships or anything like that. Okay. Um, so, uh, other evidence, um, was the fact that he had a childless marriage, but he is known to have at least one illegitimate child that he acknowledged. But I mean, it's kind of like, if that's not good evidence either way, because if you're childless, you might just like claim a bastard oh, sure. to have an heir. Yeah. So it's like not good evidence either way. Right. Um, and then there are also accounts of Richard taking women by force. Like, ah. so mm, that's like a little not great. Um, and then there are two public confessions and penances, which I do not understand how old timey churches work, but <laughs> apparently <laughs> there's like a public confession. <laughs> like, you, you I have don't, to say it where anyone can see it? I don't know. I don't get it. But um, apparently, like, scholars studying these confessions and penances um, say that they, like, based on, like, what they are, they must have referred to the sin of sodomy. Mm -hmm. However, (laughs) sodomy um, does not necessarily refer to anal sex with men. Right. It could mean anal sex with women. um, And... I, like, actually, like, Googled this, like, RIP my Google history, but, yeah. like... well, after, I mean, for this <laughs> podcast entirely, yeah. Um, it also could have historically meant oral sex. Or, oh, I didn't know that. Or sex with an animal. Yeah, that so, I So, yeah. yeah. Um, so, it's, like, it seems like there's a lot of variables, and I really don't see any hard evidence. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that's a maybe. Yeah. Um, okay, so number two is Edward II. Uh, 1284 to 1327. God, also so long ago. Um, yes. And so he is sort of known in popular culture as being, uh, he's portrayed in the movie Braveheart, Mm -hmm. um, like very poorly. It's like being weak and incompetent and kind of a dick. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, but, um, he is sort of thought to have possibly been gay. He was quote unquote wedded brothers with Piers Gaveston. Um, who is, who was the Earl of Cornwall and apparently wedded brothers is like a, um, it's like a church sanctioned thing. Really? So it's like, 
yeah, I feel like it's one of those things that's like lost to time. Like there's no equivalent well, now. It's interesting because like I ran into this a little bit when I did my like lesbian relationships mm-hmm. in Regency England, and it just is like relationships, same sex relationships mm-hmm. were viewed so differently mm-hmm. in different times. You know, right. like I think everything was so different and like your relationship with your spouse was not mm-hmm. anything and like so it's right. hard to see it through our so, modern lens yeah like wedded brothers it's like sort of like it's almost like i mean there's other relationships in the church that are all also like blessed like not just marriages i mean there's like the godmother thing you know it's like so right. it's something that's kind of like that that like could have yeah. just meant they were like brothers in christ like or whatever besties. you know yeah, yeah. Jesus besties. Right. <laughs> um, and so they mm. were, but they were undoubtedly very close. Yeah. Um, and their relationship was problematic for Edward. Um, and he, like all the other nobles were very jealous. Um, oh. And so Edward actually had to like banish Gaveston a few times and like certain nobles would like rise to power or whatever and like get him banished and then he would like, come back for a little bit and then get banished again by like whoever. All right, this one sounds more legit to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it definitely lasted a long time. Yeah. Um and uh okay. Um okay, another contemporary chronicler quote. Um <laughs> <laughs> quote when the king's son gazed upon him and that means i think this is like when he was the king's son but this Got is it. edward okay. when the yeah. king's son gazed upon him he straightway felt so much love for him that he entered into a covenant of brotherhood with him and chose and firmly resolved to bind himself to him before all mortals in an unbreakable bond of love yeah i mean <laughs> <laughs> sounds pretty romantic yeah <laughs> um but, okay, and so then the relationship caused, like, such a problem in Edward's marriage um, that he, so he was married to Isabella of France, mm-hmm. um, and they were not, like, never that close. It was clearly a political alliance, and, yeah. like, Isabella had her own sort of, like, favorites and, like, influential people at yeah. court. Um, and so on, like, the third time Gaveston returned from his exile he was actually hunted down and murdered by a group of noblemen oh, shit. likely Aww. organized by Isabella shit oh my god <laughs> I mean awful. yeah I, I mean I, you that's know, like the 13th I mean, century really but... feel bad for I mean I'm sure her life was pretty shit too oh yeah well whose life wasn't shit in that time <laughs> yeah. um, but basically I think like he just had too much power over the king yeah. and you know oh yeah um, and so then Gaveston was murdered, um, and then I think Edward, what, like, kind of, like, crumbled, you know? I think he, like, because he had put so much, um, like, faith in Gaveston that, like, he didn't really have any other powerful support. Yeah. So Isabella actually, like, seized power and had Edward deposed. Um, Holy shit, I can't believe I don't know this one. Well, he, you might, uh, from this part, so he... Is like then later to uh, later is rumored to have been executed by having a red hot poker inserted into his anus. Oh, have you heard that? That feels like a very specific right. kind of. So that's yeah. kind of where um, a lot of people say that like the rumors of his homosexuality sort of like came from this and were you know put forth by his enemies as a way right. of like making him look bad and weak so so. awful um so i don't know i'd say that one is kind of like a little bit stronger Mm -hmm. possibly more likely but 
I don't know. Okay. It could also just be like an excellent smear campaign. Smear right. Campaign exactly. Like it. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's <laughs> I mean, love a good smear campaign. campaign. <laughs> Never say the word smear. <laughs> so good. Nailed it. All right. Number three. King James I of England. All right. 1566 to 1625. King James was the son of Mary, Queen of Scots, and he is known as both King James VI of Scotland and King James I of England. Yes. Um, King James was married to Anne of Denmark. Um, but is thought to have had several relationships with male courtiers, including George Villiers, um, who was made the Earl and later Duke of Buckingham. Um, in the early 2000s, restoration work on Apthorpe Palace revealed a secret passageway connecting James and Villiers' bedchambers. Ah. So this one, I believe. Like, yeah. I think that's pretty good evidence. Um, God, castles are so cool. There's so much of that, like, yeah. secret um, hidey hole. And I think it's Apthorpe. It's spelled Apthorpe, but I think it's Apthorpe. Mm-hmm. Um, palace, it's in Northamptonshire, England. <laughs> um, and it's a historic country house dating back to the 15th century and was a favorite royal residence of James I. <laughs> I also, I just, like, looked at pictures because I was going down a side tangent on this. <laughs> it's, it's approximately 80,000 square feet. The castle? Yeah. Oh my god. That's so big. I can't really comprehend that. I know. That's so big. Yeah. That's like bigger than like a high school. Like I that's know. big. That's so big. Yeah. Wow. Anyway. Um, so James the first and Villiers uh, were apparently like quite publicly affectionate um, despite James's various proclamations against homosexuality mm-hmm. um, well because now we're post tutors mm-hmm. right so like yes this is he is yeah. yeah so he takes over after queen um, elizabeth. elizabeth yeah, yeah dies yep. yeah so um this is like when because it was henry the eighth who like made mm-hmm. like homosexuality like specifically Ill- illegal and punishable oh, really? by death yeah oh i didn't know that yeah oh Huh. I mean, I'm sh- like, it was definitely like the church wasn't okay with it, like ever, but like. I do, yes. Um, and actually, this is mentioned in the book, um, which, yeah, I didn't talk about in my like part, but like both of them are like really big history nerds and they do, yeah. they talk about, um, so like they talk about some of these people mm-hmm. um, and they say that, yeah, the King James Bible. Uh-huh. So it's like uh, commissioned by James to like. Yeah. Uh, he says it's to it's like translated to like get people off his back about homosexuality possibly. Interesting. So like it yeah. maybe is the version that like a lot of those like supposed parts of the Bible that are against homosexuality are that translated to. Yes, yeah, exactly. Like questionable translations. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Fascinating. Um. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. <Yeah>. <clears throat> um. Okay. Um, a pop- a popular epigram at the time was like, I feel like this is just like public being like, um, it was that they would say Elizabeth was king. Now James is queen. Oh, Jesus. I know. Right? God. <laughs> All right. And so then like the biggest evidence, um, is that, so in a privy council meeting in 1617, James actually like addressing the council said quote you may be sure that i love the earl of buckingham more than anyone else and more than you who are here assembled i wish to speak in my own behalf and not 
not to have it thought to be a defect. For Jesus Christ did the same, and therefore I cannot be blamed. Christ had John, and I have George. Interesting. Yeah. Also, I love that burn. That was like a total Bilbo burn. He was like... I like him more than all you bitches. Yeah. Just remind me of like, I don't like half of you have as much as you deserve. Whatever. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, and then, uh, so there's a prominent historian of uh, James the first um, and like a quote from him um, after. So he's like studied all the like letters and all the evidence and everything. And like he compiled it and like a quote from him is, Buckingham became James, James's last and greatest lover. So I think he, like, yeah. I think that one's... That's pretty solid. Pretty solid, yeah. All right. This is my last one. Um, Anne of Great Britain, 1655 to 1714. Um, and this is uh, the story, the movie The, the Favorite, Favorite is yeah. very loosely based on. God, that is a hilarious movie. It's so funny. <laughs> um, so Anne may have had a sexual relationship with her childhood friend, Sarah Churchill. Sarah and Anne met as girls, um, and they at the very least became very good friends. Um, when Anne became queen in 1707, she made Sarah and her husband uh, the Duke and Duchess of Marlborough. Um, and Sarah was the keeper of the privy purse, which... Is a hilarious title, and I think it has something to do with money. Sounds like <laughs> but, treasure. <laughs> sounds very innuendo-y, though. <laughs> the privy purse. <laughs> um, and Anne was married to Prince, Prince George of Denmark. Um, but courtiers noticed the close relationship between Anne and Sarah. Um, and I think Anne was, like, very protective of her image and of herself. Like, she was a very cautious person. Yeah. Um, and I think she like made it hard for other people to like get in, but she right. had this real, really close relationship with one person. So I think that pissed people off. Oh, yeah. Um, and so like they spread rumors. Um, and so, uh, at one point there was a disagreement, um, between Anne and Sarah. Um, and Anne was, she, uh, sorry, Sarah would, um, like leave for like longer periods of time mm -hmm. um and like people thought that she was trying to like punish Anne to yeah. like get her to do what she wanted um but That's I mean these like are what happens in the movie yeah, yeah. it's all rumors yeah. um and so then instead she starts becoming close with Sarah's cousin Abigail um and then so there's actually like rumors of this of this sexual relationship between Anne and a Abigail published in political pamphlets pamphlets like like um, at that time. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, they, and they reference, quote, dark deeds at night. Um, <laughs> but it's believed that, like, the source of those pamphlets was actually, like, Sarah. So, like, being oh. jealous yeah. or possibly, it's, it's kind of hard for me to tell because Sarah was, or, like, did seem to be, like, a very ambitious person. Um, and, like, there was, there were, like, political happenings as well um so like when they were younger like they had very different personalities but like that's maybe like why they were close like um Anne was quiet and reserved while Sarah was like outspoken and brash and speaker mind mm -hmm. um however like if you're trying to run a country like I can see how that would like you need to be more uh, assertive 
What? Assertive. Oh, yeah. I was going to say um, diplomatic. You know, you need to be listening to oh, all... You sure. know, she's supposed yes. to be the queen. She can't, yeah. like, favor a political party. Yes. Right. Um, so... Uh, yeah, so Anne was actually also, like, fairly religious. Um, she was a Tory, or the church party at the time, and Sarah was a Whig. Um, and Sarah's husband, Marlborough, was, uh, like, he had some position in the army. So, oh. like, she was, like, trying to press for, like, certain, like, wars or, like, money or whatever, or, like, more support for their political party. Right. And I think... Anne was finally like, you can't do this anymore. <laughs> like, right, yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, and at one point, like, they just had a big fight, and Sarah left, and they never spoke to each other again. Dang. Um, and, like, and Anne's life is actually pretty traumatic. She didn't become queen until kind of late. Like, this is the part of the, like, British history that's, like, it's a little, like, wonky, where, like, people didn't have heirs, and, like, yeah. so-and-so's, like, third cousin, whatever, fourth removed, randomly became, yeah, <laughs> kind which, of how like, it feels. then leaves it open for, like, other heirs to come out of, yeah. like, there was a lot of, yeah. like, I'm the heir, no, I'm the heir, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Um, and so she, Anne actually went through 17 pregnancies and still did not have a surviving child when she passed. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Um, Anyway, so scholars definitely disagree as to whether there was actually a sexual relationship. Um, And most people will say that there is no hard evidence. Um, There are um, inferences from letters. Like, I have a couple quotes. Um, Quote, I long to be with you again, and tis impossible for you to ever to for you ever to believe how much I love you, except you saw my heart. Um, and quote, I had rather live in a cottage with you than reign empress of the world without you. So, I mean, that, I mean, like now that absolutely, yeah, but, but it's so hard to say yeah, because also people used to speak about love differently. And yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I kind of think that one is like a probably not. You personally, think? yeah, I, yeah, I lean towards it probably is, but I could also see it not being. I mean, so. yeah, I also feel like like she was pretty religious, so like that's the other thing that's like, yeah, that's at true. that point at that time. That but was, also, like, it was very... this, it was different between women, like when it was a um, lesbian relationship versus mm. two gay men. Like you know, it wasn't seen the same. It wasn't. Way. It wasn't yeah. like so. I, yeah. yeah, looked down upon, and so anyway. Um, who knows? Yeah. I do have an honorable mention here. Okay. Um, Lord Ivar Mountbatten, who was born in 1963. Okay, I was going to say, that's recent because it's Mountbatten. Yeah. Um, so he is Queen Elizabeth's, Queen Elizabeth II's cousin. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was the first member of the current British royal family um, to come out. Oh, um, good for him. Man, that's sub- fucking scary. Uh, yeah. Yeah. In September 2016... Mountbatten revealed that he was in a relationship with James Coyle, an airline cabin services director, with whom he met while at a ski resort in Verbier. I don't know what that is, where that is. Hmm. Probably Austria. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, and on September... So he's older, though, So because he, he would have been, what, like about He was, like, married 60? with kids when he Before. came out. Yeah. yeah. Got oh, got it. Um. And so on September 22nd, 2018, um, Mountbatten and this James Coyle person were married in a private ceremony um, on Mountbatten's estate in uh, Bridwell Park. 
and Mountbatten's former wife walked him down the aisle and gave him away oh, at the stop. suggestion of their children. God, that is so I know. wonderful. Right? Oh my God. Yeah. Aww. So, I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I had to include that. Yeah. Not that's a, awesome. I mean, a royal, quote unquote. Like, when do you yeah, stop yeah. being royal? I <laughs> like, don't. How I mean, I removed? think that you're, you can be royal, but you're not like a working a royal. A title, you know? yeah. Like, it's, it is a title, but it's not like yeah. you have to have like your own, you don't get you, any money from the crown. You don't have a position, yeah. Right, yeah. Anyway. Wow. Good job. That was great. Yes, that was really yeah. fun to research. Yeah, totally. I love that stuff. So, all right. Well, what are you reading next week? Next week, I am reading Tahira in Bloom by Farah Huron. Heron? Oh. I am going a little bit dark and historical, but not the normal kind of historical. (laughs) This is like a Viking romance. Uh, It's called A Heart of Blood and Ashes by um, Mila Vane or Mia Vane. All right. That sounds amazing. See you next week. Bye. Bye.